Well, we are going to uh, read our scripture, and then we've got a special feature um, that I'll share after the reading of the scripture. Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. And we're reading verses 7 through 10. This is a traditional text for the season of Christmas. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Our New Testament reading is a portion of a story in the life of the early church in Acts chapter 4. This is after the first major miracle that the apostles uh, had the opportunity to be a part of after Jesus had been risen from the dead and ascended into heaven And then having given the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, there was a person, a man, who was, the text describes it, he was lame from birth. And he used to beg every day in the temple, right near a particular gate of the temple that Luke tells us was called beautiful. A beautiful thing happened at that beautiful gate. Peter and John saw this man, and he he reached out asking for an alm or a, a gift. He was begging for money, and they said these famous words. You might have heard these at one time or another. Silver or gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And immediately he was healed. People were filled with joy and wonder. They witnessed this miracle. The religious leaders, however, thought of it more as a riot and wanted to get to the bottom of this. And they said, why, Peter and John, what power or what name, in what name did you do this? And our text is from Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. This is Peter's proclamation, his answer to the religious leaders. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you find beautiful? What are some of the ways that, that you open up your life to beauty? Think now, you might even want to close your eyes and, and think about a scene, a beautiful scene that you have seen recently. Perhaps it's a scene from nature. Maybe you were at a place where you were taking photographs of, of a sunset or a mountain vista. Maybe you have a special place you like to go on a walk because of just what you see, the trees, the water, the sky. Perhaps, like many people, you find beauty in in the arts and crafts through which human beings in cultural expression express beauty through craft. You might have a painting at home that is there and it's on your wall because you find that beautiful. And that gives us a, kind of an insight into what exactly does it mean for something to be beautiful? Why do you think that art is beautiful? Perhaps you feel that it inspires you. Perhaps there's something about the way that it's painted or the colors in which it's painted or the brush strokes themselves that lifts your spirits, that touches or speaks to your imagination. Perhaps you feel that much more human just being in its presence and gazing upon it. In this world where we can get so stressed out and busy, some of those items that we find beautiful can bring us back even to ourselves. It could be it could be sculpture. In this area, we are known mainly because of the legacy of Dale Chihuly uh, with glass art and sculpture. Known worldwide for that. Our scripture texts today lead us to consider beauty. And what is beautiful? And what is beautiful in Scripture? 
And especially as we look at Scripture and interpret it in this season, the season of the incarnation of God's Son, the Savior, Christ the Lord, into the world, that good news, the gospel, that's what gospel means, is good news, is beautiful. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's good. But perhaps even before those two things, it is beautiful. So, a couple hundred years after Jesus was born and the Magi visited the manger, someone came up with names for these kings. Magi, wise men, wise people from the east. And one of the names that was given to one of the Magi was Balthazar. Not in the Bible, by the way. There were three. In the church today, one of the strongest voices who speaks for the importance of beauty in the Christian faith is a German Catholic theologian who lived from 1905 to 1988 named Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's known by his last name, Balthasar. So there's the connection. And he was a very, very wise man. And I was exposed to his uh, thought through the writings of Eugene Peterson, who uh, thought very highly of Hans Urs von Balthasar. What Balthasar did, I'll try to encapsulate this in a, in, a, in a simple way. He believed that the church was the curator of the most beautiful thing that had ever happened which was the incarnation. That God is the source of beauty and that sin really is that which deteriorates or erodes God's created beauty. So you think about the story, the theological story of of God creating all things good and then the entrance of sin into the world. It's that sin kind of uglified the whole thing. Everything was good. Everything was beautiful. But God is still present, working to bring beauty, to restore beauty. And that includes the beauty that is in you and me, as those made in the image of God. Balthazar believed that that we come to faith in God not only by believing in something that can be proven rationally, but we believe in God by contemplating God's beauty. He believed that Christian reflection includes not only theology, which is studying what is true, and not only ethics, which is studying what is good, but also aesthetics, which is studying and contemplating what is truly beautiful. 
And so the, the theology that he developed is one that leads us to consider those whose primary love language for God is expressed in the arts and in music. Poets, novelists, painters, sculptors, musicians, dramatists, all of those who help us stay attuned to God's beauty and wonder. You know, I mentioned earlier that we decorate our sanctuary just very much like you all decorate your homes uh, at this season, and we do it because we want to accentuate, remind ourselves of the beauty of the season. Light is a very important part of that beauty during this darkest season of the year. And as you look around this sanctuary, you will notice that, that a lot of care has been taken to render or at least amplify the beauty of the season with light and with garland, with Christmas trees. Last week we learned that what appeared when Jesus appeared on earth as a little baby, the incarnation of God, God with us in human form, a mystery beyond full human comprehension and yet true for all time, that what appeared on earth was grace, God's grace, unmerited favor, perhaps the most beautiful news that a human being could ever hear is that no matter what you've done or will ever do, no matter the fact that you will never live up to God and God's perfection, God reaches down and brings his love to us. Forgiveness that connects us, even through our sin or despite our sin, to a relationship with a good and holy and beautiful God. Bono, the lead singer of the Irish band U2, in his 2000 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, he wrote a song called Grace. And the final line of that song, Grace, which is about God's grace, and it's very biblically accurate, final line is this. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. That's the good news, the beautiful news of God's grace being present with us in Jesus Christ is that what we have found to be ugly in human existence can be made beautiful, or rather can be restored to its created beauty. In Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, let's read verse 7 again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now what is beautiful here are actually not the mountains, right? They're the feet that are on the mountains, We don't often think of feet as being the most beautiful thing in the world, do we? And yet here, it's with such passion that it's being proclaimed how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In that day, that's how you got good news. Someone with feet 
had to get it to where you were. You couldn't just listen on the radio uh, or you couldn't just open up your smartphone and, and scroll through all the latest updates. Someone had to get on their feet and somehow make it to where you were to share that news with you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, some of us actually do spend a lot of time thinking about uh, feet and beauty. The pedicure industry uh, has something to say about that. Uh, Or, this is probably more universal, is the whole, is the aesthetic, meaning of beauty, the aesthetic approach to collecting footwear. So uh, I don't know if any of you have collections of shoes, um, but it's known to happen. Uh, It's out there somewhere. Uh, People collect shoes. And one of the the things, it's one of the, the, the things that human beings wear that people have found, whether through how the shoe looks or how finely it is crafted, that it's worthy of collecting. Shoes can be works of art. For younger generations, that tends to be like sneakers. Uh, Some people have collected sneakers. There's been a a movie out recently about the first Air Jordan basketball shoe. I shared this with my wife, that I owned a pair of Air Jordan basketball shoes right after they were first made. And the only reason why I had those shoes is that they didn't cost any more than any other shoe out there. I needed basketball shoes, and there they were, Air Jordans. How about those? I'll try those. Well, that was the last pair of affordable Air Jordans that I ever saw. Um, And and I, I, I wore those. I wore them out. What I would do to still have those in prime, uh, pristine condition as a work of art. Beautiful feet. Whether they're wearing designer shoes or not, I cannot say. But what's happening here in Isaiah's prophecy is the beauty of bringing the good news of God's salvation to people in need of that good news. What God's people were experiencing was something, was an ugly existence. It was full of terror for them, to be honest. And most of the images that Isaiah uses, not only in this text, but throughout the prophecy, are images of beauty. Springs in the desert, the desert blooming with, with, with flowers, as far as the eye can see. Turning the, the, just the, the bare, ugly desert into something beautiful. Images. Reminding us that when we bear the good news, when we communicate the good news of Jesus, that we are bringing beauty into the world. We are bringing God's beauty into another life. We're bringing God's beauty into our conversation with others. And that beauty has a name, and it's a saving name. You know, throughout the centuries, the arts 
have been a way that we have considered who Jesus is, that we've contemplated on the person and the name of Jesus. And this year, during Advent and through Christmas to today, we did that in a very, uh, just very practical way. We invited an artist in our midst to paint a painting. And there it is. It's right behind me, right there. This is the last Sunday that this painting will be here in this space. I believe we're going to move it into the church office in one of the hallways there. So if you want to take a a close-up view of it, uh, it'll be there on display throughout the year. Uh, But I encourage you today, after the service, if you haven't already done so, to come up and to take a closer look at the painting. During our family service at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, we invited the kids up to take a close look, and it really is interesting. Like with most paintings, just how that proximity or the distance from a painting, you get different, you see different things, don't you? But uh, Pam Bickford, thank you. Thank you for bringing the beauty that you and the inspiration that you receive from God and bringing that to us in a way that inspires us and reminds us of the beauty of the good news of Jesus as Savior. Let's express our appreciation to you again. Thank you. And it's not just the painting. Uh, We here at North Creek, and this is not unique among churches, but we've had artisans who have shared their faith and their belief in the beauty of the gospel in, in fashioning reminders that, that lead us back to the person and the name of Jesus. One of them is the cross that you see in front of you, fashioned by an artist, longtime member of our church named Lee Allen. And every Sunday as we gather, we worship under this cross that was fashioned to remind us of the good news the good news of grace in Jesus. Our baptismal font right here, it actually, for some of you are aware of this, others may not be, that in the changing uh, seasons of the church year, there are different colors assigned for each season. This is Christmas, the color is white, and so the font, which is a glass bowl, very delicate, um, is clear glass. But during ordinary time, the the color is green, and so you might find that there is a green glass bowl there. And then during Advent and Lent, the color is purple, and so there's a purple font that reminds us of the waters of baptism, the beautiful waters of baptism, where we are claimed by God as God's very own, reminded that we have forgiveness. That glass was, was... formed, sculpted by Karen Huber, an artist in our congregation. Songwriters write songs about Jesus as well. And one of them we featured in our sermon song, What a Beautiful Name is Jesus. Ben Fielding and Brooke Lidgerwood wrote this song in 2016. I want to repeat the lyrics 
you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus was spoken at a place called Beautiful. By Peter and John, who ran into a man who, the text says, was lame from birth. Literally in the Greek, it means that his legs were lifeless. And by speaking the name of Jesus to him, by Jesus' power, he was healed. And he was restored to the created beauty of his life. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the church leaders, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It is by this beautiful name that this world is made beautiful by the good news. The saving name. The name that means Savior. One of the the joys of this season for me has been to, to take a concept that is simple. It's just a verse that records the announcement of the angel to the shepherds on the fields of Bethlehem. Today is born to you in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That verse inspired this painting and the emphasis on the announcement that a Savior has entered the scene. But it wasn't until digging into the sermons and following week by week that, that I started to see in a new way just how central the title Savior is to Jesus. And that Jesus' name literally means Savior. So that when we see this painting up here and the angel is saying Savior, it is what people in the first century heard when they heard the name Jesus. And here's how that happens. Well, in Matthew one twenty one. The angel said to Joseph in a dream, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Usually right there in the text in Matthew chapter 1, there's a footnote that says Jesus means the Lord saves. So people knew that, yeah, his name, he'll be called Jesus, the one who saves because he's going to save you. And then we have the announcement of the angels, a Savior born to you this day, Christ the Lord. Jesus' name, as he would have been known, 
in the Aramaic language that is based on Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua is a shortened version of uh, not, not necessarily anything different, uh, but slightly shortened from the Hebrew name Jehoshua, Yeshua. Those are basically the same name. And so that's the name of the Old Testament uh, leader of God's people, the one who succeeded Moses and led God's people into the promised land, the one who fought the battle of Jericho, none other than Joshua. So Jesus would have been known as Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, same name. That's the way you look at it from a Hebrew standpoint. If you look at it from a biblical standpoint with New Testament Greek, Jesus is called, his name in Greek is Iesu, Iesus. And uh, if you go into the Old Testament written in Greek that was written in Alexandria, Egypt in the 3rd century B.C., if you go back in the Old Testament and look for the book of Joshua, you will read the book of Iesus, Jesus. So those who spoke Greek in the first century, when they were introduced to Jesus, it was the same name as the one who God used to bring salvation to God's people. From a Greek point of view, the Old Testament person was Jesus. The New Testament named Jesus. From the Hebrew and Aramaic, it's Yeshua and Yeshua. But the greatest connection here is that Yeshua is the name Joshua in Hebrew. But the word for salvation that we see in our text from Isaiah today is Yeshua. The very concept of salvation, of God saving God's people, has a name. Jesus. In our Heidelberg Catechism, question 29, the question is, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? See, you would have known that if you would have studied your Heidelberg Catechism. It's right there in question number 29. But the answer is this, because he saves us from our sins and because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. Salvation is sought and it is found in Jesus. Looking ahead to a new year, how might you seek and find the Savior? What are your hopes for salvation? What do you see when you look at your life or the world that you long for God to restore to beauty. Something perhaps in your own life and relationships. Or perhaps something that gets inspired within you as you look out on a war-torn world. Scripture tells us that the world was changed when Jesus the Savior entered the scene because in him salvation was found. In Isaiah 52.10, we read this, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. 
And Acts 8, 12, Peter speaking here said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. The Savior is found in Jesus and has been found throughout the world. Think about all of the things that have global reach. I remember once upon a time when the World Wide Web started. Do you remember that? Do you remember who started the World Wide Web? Someone's laughing. Anyway, when the World Wide Web started, was it worldwide? No, no. That was the hope and the dream of the World Wide Web. But we're a lot closer to being able to say that now, right? Covers the world. It's a World Wide Web. There are so many things that, uh, uh, that we observe being spread throughout the world. One of the, the, the things that is, is kind of fun when you travel globally is to see things that originated where you live somewhere else on the other side of the globe. I remember the first time that I traveled overseas, it was to the Philippines, and we were on the island of Mindanao which is not near Manila at all. It's very rural, very out of the way. Uh, We were in a town uh, called Butuan. And there, uh, among all of the the stalls in in like the farmer's market in the center of town, was a box, a cardboard box, with a bright red apple on it. Because they were selling red delicious apples from Washington State. At the time, I wasn't even from Washington. I was from California at the time. But it was just amazing. It's like, wow, here, where did those come from? The apple industry, a worldwide reach. It's a real joy. When we are able in this congregation in Mill Creek, Washington, to welcome people who come to us, who have faith in Christ in common, uh, who move here, and who come and fellowship and join with us. Just in the past year, we have new members of our church who recently uh, emigrated from Malawi and Mexico. And that's only the beginning of the different places on the globe that we count as this worldwide web of those whose lives have been made beautiful, not only now, but forevermore, through the Savior, Jesus. And this worldwide web called the Church of Jesus has a mission. In the Confession of 1967, uh, in the Presbyterian Church, we read this, the risen Christ is the Savior for all people. Those joined to him by faith are set right with God and commissioned to serve as his reconciling community. Through the Savior, we are set right with God, and then we're set right with one another, and we become agents, as the Apostle Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, agents of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. Now it's our mission to bring people into the beauty of reconciled relationships interpersonally, within families, within churches. 
reconciliation among people who have very different views about how to structure a society or about who you should vote for in the next election. Different views about, about what's the appropriate use of military force to bring about lasting peace in particular places. And yet our mission continues throughout all of that is the reconciliation that is the mission of Jesus, the Savior. And we are a force of reconciliation. We are those who have the privilege of being witnesses to the beauty of the reconciliation that Christ brings. How might we reflect the beauty of the Lord this year? How might we bring the beauty of the gospel to our families and our community? I want to finish this sermon with these words from a song by an artist named Sarah Groves. The only word that I will add is the amen at the end. This comes from her song, Add to the Beauty. Redemption comes in strange places, small spaces, calling out the best of who we are. And I want to add to the beauty, to tell a better story, Shine with the light that's burning up inside. And this is grace. An invitation to be beautiful. Amen.